Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode four, and I still don't have any intro music. So listen, this week I want to give you a scenario. I want you to think through this with me. So imagine you're at lunch with a friend, and you're talking about your families, and your friend says, how are your kids? And you say, well, you know, my kids are okay, but I got to be honest, I'm really struggling with this whole parenting thing. I thought it was going to be easier. I don't know if I'm very good at it. I want my kids to be happy and healthy and productive adults, but I don't. I don't really know how to get them there. I feel I thought I knew how to get them there, but I'm just I'm kind of flying blind right right now. And your friend says, "Oh, I just read this amazing book about parenting. You got to check it out." You're like, "Yeah, absolutely. What's it called?" So your friend tells you what it's called. You go to the Amazon store and you put the book in your wish list. And you're like, "Oh, yeah, I'll check that out." And then you look up from your phone. And your friend is sitting across the table, and he's got his phone out. He's holding it up, and there's a countdown timer on it. You're like, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you have to buy the book before this timer expires. And you're like, why? He's like, well, because if you don't, you'll procrastinate. You'll never read the book if I don't, if I don't make you buy it before this timer expires. And then you say, well, I guess you're right. I, I might procrastinate, but the book will still be in the Amazon store. There's really nothing to stop me from buying that book whenever I want, reading it whenever I feel like reading it. And he, and he says, well, yeah, but if you don't do it now, you're going to miss out. And then you just sit there and you're confused and then it's awkward. It's very awkward between you and your friend, especially because your friend's not the author. And I know this is kind of a forced example, but you'll see where I'm going. Your friend is introducing this completely unnatural and apparently totally irrelevant deadline to your purchase decision. And I use that as a lead-in because today I want to talk about why I really hate time-bound product launches for online courses. I really dislike them. I don't like the model. And today I want to make the case for why I think it's bad for everyone involved. I think it's bad for product buyers, and I think it's bad for product sellers. And I'm coming from a place where I've seen lots and lots of businesses that run the product launch model, the model where, you know, maybe I should back up one step. Here's what I mean by the product launch model. When you, when you run the product launch model or something like it, you're creating a course or a program online. You are announcing it, and then you're only making it available during specific windows on the calendar. So you'll, you'll tell your list or you'll, you'll tell your affiliates to tell their lists, hey, this is only open from the 14th to the 24th, and if you don't buy it by the 24th, you don't get to buy it. This is the product launch model that I'm talking about that I really disagree with. So what, what brought this up for me, the reason I want to talk about it today, is that last week I sent a newsletter out to my list, and I said to my list, hey, by the way, I know you've always heard me talking about budgeting topics in small business, but I feel like in order to talk effectively about budgeting, I have to start bringing in other topics. I've got to talk about, talk about marketing and sales and fulfillment, and I've got, to, I've got to pull it all together in the context of budgeting so that we can really have effective conversations. But if you don't want to hear me talking about marketing and sales and fulfillment, you should probably go ahead and unsubscribe. And only three people did, which I was surprised by. I thought more people would unsubscribe. But one of the people who unsubscribed was this great person named Carolyn. Her unsubscribe message that you get in MailChimp said something like, hey, this is all good for you, but I really just want to hear about budgeting. I don't want to hear about product launches. And it, I realized in that moment that as I've talked about my goal to sell $200,000 worth of let's do the books in the next year or so, she must have interpreted that, that I was approaching this using the traditional product launch approach, meaning I would open it up and I'd be like, hey, you can join Let's Do the Books now. And then two weeks later, I'd be like, oh, you missed out. You can't join Let's Do the Books anymore. And I, I want to talk about that on this podcast because I totally disagree with that approach. And I've already lost Carolyn, 
but maybe this will help me connect with a few other people. Let me be clear about this. I don't look at this as an ethical issue. I mean, it could be an ethical issue because any approach you take with you know any marketing model, any business model, you could be dishonest about it. That's not what I'm talking about today because I don't think that this approach where you open your product for a while and then close it, I don't think that's inherently unethical. I think it's sort of ethics neutral. You could do it ethically or you could do it unethically. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking strictly about whether it's in the best interest of the business and whether it's in the best interest of that business's customers to take this approach to the marketing and the sales of their products. At the foundation of this whole thing is this idea that you are using, you're using this, this deadline, which is totally irrelevant to the value proposition, usually, to require people to make a decision. So they're not making the decision just based on the proposition, the value proposition. They're making the decision based on partly on the value proposition and partly on this, this loss aversion, this desire not to miss out on a thing. And we all know how powerful that desire to not miss out is in human beings, all of us. So we're using that to force a decision in people where they otherwise might not make one. And on our best day, what we're saying is, I really don't want people to miss out on the benefit of this program. So I'm going to introduce this deadline to kind of snap them out of their their complacency and their procrastination so they will join. And I want to make the case that it's not necessary and it's not beneficial. But I also want to make the distinction that there are times where there are natural deadlines, Let's go back to my scenario with the friend at lunch. Let's say that when I told my friend at lunch, hey, I'm struggling as a parent. I want to get a few things figured out and how to take a better approach with my kids. What if my friend had said, you know what? My wife and I are taking a parenting class. It starts next Thursday. You should check it out. And I say, yeah, I will check it out. And I go read all the copy and I learn about the class. And now I have to make a decision because there's a very natural deadline. If I don't sign up by Thursday, I miss out on the class because that's when the class is happening. Now, I would, I would argue, by the way, that I, I would not, <laughs> in 2017, I don't know why t- people teach live classes. I, it's not a model that appeals to me. I dropped out of college because that model didn't appeal to me. It makes way, way more sense to me to make your content available anytime a person wants to consume it. And then if you want to introduce a live support act, uh, feature, great. Maybe that is on the calendar, but this idea where people have to show up to listen to you lecture, I don't, I don't understand why anyone's doing that. But if you're going to do that, then at least there's a natural deadline. So there's not this awkwardness in your interaction with your prospect. See, if, a, if an Amazon, if an author of a book on Amazon said, you have to buy the book by this day or this time, it creates this awkwardness because the basic question that I have as the buyer is, well, Why? Your book is either sitting in Amazon's warehouse right now or it's sitting on Amazon servers. Why can't I buy it whenever I want? And then my next thought is, well, the only reason I can't buy it whenever I want is because you won't let me. And why won't you let me? Well, if there's not a natural reason like class starts Thursday, then the only reason you won't let me is because of some marketing gimmick. And now whatever feeling I had about you as the, pro- as the product seller, whatever feeling I had about you, whatever trust or, or rapport I felt with you is now just, just that much tainted. Because now you're treating me like I can't make the decision without irrelevant external pressure. It's like you have to increase my anxiety in order for me to start a relationship with you. And it's not that it doesn't work, especially in the short run. It's whether you want that to be the foundation for your relationship with me as your customer. Do you want that pressure to be the foundation of our relationship? I don't. And I think that most people who criticize this launch-based business model, I think they criticize it because of of the pressure that it puts on 
the prospect, on the customer. But my biggest criticism of this model is the pressure that it puts on the seller. Think about it. I, as the buyer, have a little bit of pressure. I've got to make a decision or I've got to make it or not make a decision. I'm going to get this program or I'm going to not get this program. That's a little bit of pressure. But if you flip it and you look at the seller, their pressure is, if I can't sell enough of this product in the period of time that I've allowed myself, I've manufactured this deadline, if I can't sell enough units within that period of time, I've got a real problem in my cash flow. So they feel enormous pressure. And the only reason they feel this pressure is because they manufactured the deadline. So when you, when you create these deadlines, it introduces feast and famine into your business by design and by choice. You know, all those salaried people out there who avoid entrepreneurship, who avoid self-employment, one of the biggest reasons they do it, maybe the biggest reason they do it, is because they want a steady paycheck. It's this basic human need to have income flowing to us steadily. But it actually makes sense because our expenses are steady. I eat every day. I live in my house every day. You know, I turn on the lights every day. I buy groceries. These things, our expenses are very smooth. So it's inherently stressful when we have stable, smooth expenses to force major volatility into our income. I don't know why we would do that. Why would we say, I choose the feast and famine approach? I don't understand why we would do that. Freelancers, realtors, anyone who has highly volatile income, the thing they complain about most is the volatility of their income. But as course creators who are choosing this open cart, closed cart, deadline-driven model, we're signing up for feast and famine and saying, yes, that's what I choose. And I have to come back to why. Why are we signing up for feast and famine? It makes no sense to me. Well, I can tell you there's two reasons. I think there are two reasons people sign up for the feast and famine business model. Number one, they'll say, I make more money this way. And number two, they'll say, this approach allows me to only have to do marketing and sales a few weeks per year. I think those are both false, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they'll say that I make more money this way. I make more money with a launch-driven business than I would with a business that anybody can buy my products anytime they want. And they will say the reason that they make more money this way is because the energy and the pressure of a launch causes a lot more people to say yes than would otherwise say yes. And I will say, I don't believe you. In fact, I will say that the majority of people, maybe all of them who are claiming that they make more money with launches are saying that with, with insufficient and even inaccurate data, which means if you're actually going to make the claim that you make more money with a launch-driven business, you have to be able to show me enough data that proves that you've attempted it the other way, the way where your businesses are always, uh, your products are always available for sale. You have to be able to prove to me with plenty of data that you actually would make more money by having these manufactured deadlines than you do by just having your products available all the time. If you think about a product that only launches a couple of times per year, how many businesses have been in business long enough? How many of us in this online course creation space have been around long enough that we can say that we have 10, 20, 30 launches to support this claim that we make more money launching than we would otherwise? I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I don't think if I could dig into the numbers, I don't think I would see proof that people make more money launching than they would if they just made their products available every day of the year. Also, there's something called survivorship bias. Survivorship bias says, we tend to only hear the stories of the people who succeeded. The people who fail tend not to raise their hand and say, well, actually, I did the launch thing. I tried it five times. I failed 100% of the time. So people who say launching makes me more money, they tend to be the people for whom launching worked best 
whether because of their genius or their hard work or whatever. I'm not trying to take credit away from those people, but I'm saying I think they're more unusual than you, than you realize. I think there are a lot of people out there who tried to make the launch model work and failed horribly, and we don't hear from them. They're not writing up big success stories on medium.com. They're not being, you know, they're not being featured in other people's newsletters and webinars. They're just sort of sitting at home licking their wounds. The other reason I think that we hear people saying that launching makes them more money is because launching does require marketing and sales activity. And I think a lot of times when people make, when people create products and they make them, uh, make them available on their websites and then they just sort of sit back and wait for the sales to come in and then they don't come in and they're like, well, this doesn't work. This approach doesn't work. Well, yeah, it doesn't work because you're not doing marketing and sales. If you were out there every day offering your product to people, some of them would buy it. So it makes launching look really good when it inspires people to actually do marketing and sales, which then, of course, produces revenue, whereas just letting their products just sit there and hoping that people will find them and buy them doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you're not doing marketing and sales. So I don't buy the, I don't buy the idea that people make more money launching than they would if they just were in business, if they were just, if their products were available for sale every day of the year. I don't buy it. And if you do buy it, then I'd like to see the data. I'd like to see the data across a large number of product sellers and a large number of launches. Because having been a consultant to these businesses over the last three plus years, I don't have any evidence that it's a model that someone should pursue. In fact, I always find it really interesting. I've even told my clients this. I've consulted dozens and dozens of these businesses who, who use a, a launch-driven model. And I'm fascinated by the fact that none of them have ever said to me, hey, Mark, you've consulted all these businesses who are using a launch-driven model. Why aren't you launching? Because then I would say, yeah, I don't see any reason to do it. If I look at the whole thing, if I look at this holistically, I, there's nothing here that makes me want to run time-bound product launches. I don't have any evidence that that's the way to go. So I've, I've already talked about... It may, I make more money launching than I would otherwise. And I would say, I don't believe you have. And I think that if you, if you made your products available every day of the year, and if you just made effort to market and sell them every day of the year, you would come out way ahead. But that goes into the next thing that people say, which is launching allows me to only have to market and sell a few weeks per year to make all my money. I guess that could be true. I mean, if your launches go well, then, then it's true. You launch, let's say you launch in, launch in April and you have an amazing launch and that money sustains you for the next six months and then you launch again in October and the same thing happens and it's all, it's all great and it's all gravy. And I have seen that in a couple of businesses where they launch, they launch consistently and each time they launch, it's like, yeah, filled it up, got all the sales I wanted to and I've got the cash to last me. But I will tell you it's rare. Um, from the businesses that I've consulted, I, it's rare. Let me tell you why I think it's rare. In my opinion, making a sale is magic. It, it's, it's a miracle. It's, it's this thing where you have, you have to have all of these factors come together at the same time in order for a person to make a, a purchase. And when I say it's magic, I don't mean that I think it's particularly hard or impossible. I just think the whole thing is magical. I love it. But there's a lot that can go wrong in any given transaction, right? I mean, you have to find a person who they have the pain that you specifically address with your solution. And then you have to actually make contact with them. And then you have to establish trust and rapport with them. And then you have to make an offer that works for them. So they have to believe in your feature set. They have to be willing and able to pay your price. Um, all of that has to come together. And it can break down at any point. 
it can break down for reasons that, that are mostly for reasons that are completely beyond your control. Circumstances in their life, um, all the noise that's going on in the world around them from other product sellers. So all of these things have to come together perfectly in order for, for this sale to happen. And when you take all of that challenge and then you apply this deadline to it, the stress that you feel as the seller is enormous because you know all the things that have to go right for that transaction to happen and you're only giving yourself this narrow window in which to make it happen. And if anything goes wrong, you lost the sale. And if, and if anything goes wrong across uh, inside that window, if anything goes wrong across a, a big enough percentage of your prospects, then the whole launch fails. And so now you, your, your launch has failed. You don't really know why. Your business coach might claim she knows why your launch failed. And she'll like, this is why your launch failed. And, and you might have a guess as to why your launch failed. And you'll be like, well, I know why my launch failed. But you really don't know why. There's too many variables for you to really say definitively why any given launch didn't perform the way you wanted it to. But now that it didn't perform, not only do you not have the cash you need to get through the, few, the next few months until you launch again, but you have all the self-doubt that comes from a, a failed launch. You know that expression where people say, uh, when you fall off a horse, you got to get right back on again? Well, when you launch, when you do a, a time-bound launch and it fails, you fall off the horse and then because you told everybody that you were only going to ride the horse through June 24th, you can't get back on the horse until months later. But you have to sit there and replay in your own mind falling off the horse over. It's like you put a DVD in and it's like, I'm going to watch myself fall off the horse every day for the next six months. And after six months, I'm supposed to confidently remount the horse and ride successfully. How do you think that's going to go? You have the feeling of failure that you're carrying from your last launch. You have probably some debt because launching is really expensive. You probably hired a copywriter, a designer, maybe a developer. Maybe you bought a bunch of Facebook ads. Um, you usually staffed up. I've, I've seen so many times where people say, well, during my launch, I have to have more support. So they increase their payroll during the launch. Um, also, weird phenomenon, when, when people are launching, they kind of get dollar signs in their eyes. And I see them inflate their expenses in the middle of the launch. And they always say, yeah, but it doesn't matter because I'm going to make it all back up on the launch. And sometimes they do make it all back up on the launch. Sometimes they don't. If they don't, they end up with debt. So now they have the feeling of failure and the debt and the stress, and they're not allowed, quote unquote allowed, to launch again for three or six months or 12 months because they announced to everyone who would listen, hey, if you don't sign up now, you're not going to get it for another three, six or 12 months. So they've imposed this this schedule on themselves that doesn't allow them to make new attempts in the near future. And they're doing it maybe with some debt. And I want you to think about what kind of a mindset that produces in a person when it's time for them to launch again. I can tell you that I've seen it and it's not, it's not pretty. Even when this goes well, even when a launch goes really, really well, I still don't like the model because I just mentioned to you how people tend to inflate their expenses during launches because they're going to make it all back up in the launch. Even when that happens, what I observe is that they went into the launch with certain financial projections where they said, okay, if I can sell this many, then that cash will last me this long. But they tend to be very optimistic and aggressive about their revenue goals and about, um, and about how long that money will last them. And then they tend to be way too uh, optimistic about what their expenses will be. So they're, they're, they're forecasting more profit than there will actually be. And then they inflate their expenses. So they finish the successful launch but then they run out of money two or three months later and they cannot figure out why. They're like, but I hit my numbers. I hit my numbers. Why am I running out of cash? 
It's like, well, because do you remember back during the launch when you decided to do X, Y, and Z that, that added thousands of dollars to the launch cost? That's why you're running out of cash today. Also, when people uh, have successful launches, they feel so much relief. I mean, it is this enormous relief. They had to thread the needle. They threaded the needle. They made the sales they needed to make. They got the cash they needed. They come off of that. And as the pressure comes off and they have a big checking account balance, they very, very often will start to buy all those things that they've been depriving themselves of for the last few months because they were getting ready for their launch. Well, now they had the successful launch. The checking account balance is fat. And now it's like, I'm going to go sign up for that program. I'm going to hire that new team member. I'm going to redesign my whole website. Or I'm going to, I've seen people spend that money any number of ways. And it's this totally normal human reaction to feeling a release of all that pressure that was building during the launch and toward looking at your checking account balance and seeing that it's fat. It's like, I got all this money. I'm going to go spend it. Totally human. I'm not, I'm not judging or criticizing. These are natural, natural decisions for all of us. We're all just human beings making the best decisions we can. And I've just seen this over and over. So when you're launching this way, when it goes badly, it's really bad because of the stress, the pressure, the debt, the self-doubt. When it goes well, it's still not great because you tend to overspend in success and then put yourself into too much pressure for the next launch. By the way, the only way you can really make all of this worse, in my mind, is by using other sort of threats and gimmicks to make the sale happen in a particular launch. Here's what I mean. Sometimes you'll see people launching a program and they'll say, not only will they use the, uh, the kind of irrelevant context of this manufactured deadline, they will also say, you better sign up now because I'm going to raise the price to X after this launch is closed. Ah, now, now as the prospect, now not only do I have the deadline mess messing with my head, now I have the specter of the price increase messing with my head. Well, now I really jump in, which means that usually, almost always when, when there's the threat of a price increase, those launches tend to do very, very, very well. And in the short term, interestingly, that, that seller, that product seller will be like, I pulled it off. I nailed that launch. My marketing was on point. Everything was on point. I nailed it. So they really under, they underestimate the impact of the threatened price increase. But then what have we done? We've taken the pressure of the launch and we've, we've alleviated some of the pressure from this launch by threatening to raise the price. But then when we actually raise the price for the next launch, now we've taken the pressure to a whole new level. Why? Well, this is something I've seen many times now. Usually when people are launching, this is like their first two, three, four launches. Here's how they got to those first two or three or four launches. They got into business. When they got into business as a, as a subject matter expert of some kind, they started with some sort of one-on-one -on -one consulting or coaching offer or maybe a small group something. And these tend to be higher priced products and offers. So the only people that were buying from them were the people who were kind of at the top of the market. They had the money and the willingness to invest it in these high ticket items. But this new business owner is still building goodwill in a community. They're growing an email list. They're nurturing relationships with those people. And their community is growing around them as they're making an effort. And a couple of years go by. After a couple of years, this person is now, they're more confident and competent than ever in their subject and their ability to teach it. They've been operating at the top of the market and now they get it in their head, just like I have, that, well, now I'd like to move down market a little bit and I'd like to sell 
programs, courses that people can consume at their own pace. And I want to put some leverage into my business. And this is a great idea. I think it's valid. It's what we're all trying to do. Then they go to launch that program, that new self-paced course to their list for the first time. And they've got people on their list. And what they don't realize is they've been building the relationship with those people for a couple of years. And now they're kind of harvesting all of that pent up demand. So all of those people who know, like, and trust this, this expert, but haven't, haven't engaged in a transaction yet, it's been because the price has been too high for them. But now the person's offering them something at a price point that they can stomach, that they can actually make it work. So they jump on. They're like, this is amazing. I'm so glad I finally get to work with you. And the seller has this amazing launch. And they're like, this is amazing. I never knew that it would be this easy to sell products and programs. This is it for me. I'm never looking back. And when they set goals for the next launch, they're going to look at this launch and they're going to say, that was my first time. I wasn't even good at this yet. Now I'm good at it. Now I've got a launch under my belt. I've still got this great list. The next launch is going to be twice as big. And they start to spend money and do projections based on an expectation that they can double up on the next launch. But then they do that launch and it seriously underperforms relative to their expectations. And they have no idea why. I mean, they might have said, I'm going to sell 200 this time because I sold 100 last time. And then they sell 40. And they're like, what the heck? Now, by the way, I think it's an amazing success to sell 40 people a home study course on the internet. That, that is amazing. I mean, I feel like we have to sit back and just say, this is a miracle. This is a, moder- a miracle of our modern life that I can sit in my office and I can create a digital course and I can sell it to 40 people. This is amazing. But if my expectation is that I was going to sell 200, then all of a sudden I feel like a loser and I doubt myself because I sold 100 last time. What's wrong with me? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you. The only thing that happened here was you underestimated the importance of, of building the relationship over a period of years with that list building up to the first launch. And then between that launch and the next one, you didn't have enough time or enough new people. You, you, didn't, you didn't have enough new people come into your world and you didn't have enough time to build the same level of relationship with them that the first group had. Business owners tend to think of their list as this static thing. It's sort of like, if I have a list of 4,000 and if in this launch I converted X percent to those 4,000, then that is my number and that is how it will always be forever after. And the next time they launch, they'll be like, well, I still have a list of 4,000, but I'm better at sales this time. So instead of selling 100, I'm going to sell 200. They're not acknowledging the fact that those 4,000 people, most of them, unless they've been really doing a good job with bringing fresh faces into their world, most of those people have already heard this offer and not taken them up on it. So most of those people who have heard the offer already they're not going to buy. Some of them will. Some of them will say, oh, it was bad timing for me last time or whatever. But the majority of them start to get immune to this offer because they've heard it before. And that's especially true the third and the fourth and the fifth time that you launch that program. Eventually, they just sort of get blind to your offers. They may read your newsletter. They like you. But they're now in the habit of not buying from you. And there's there's got to be some really compelling reason for them to break that habit of not buying from you. So you're, from your perspective, you're confused. I've got the same number of people on my list. I'm launching the same program. I thought I launched it better and I got half the sales or less. What, what's wrong with me? Well, nothing's wrong with you. You just didn't have enough fresh faces in your community to take you up on that new offer. 
so so to me, this is why it really makes no sense when people say launching allows me to just do marketing and sales a few weeks per year, especially because, you know, I've already got this list of a few thousand people. The list is established from here on out. I'm just going to be basically harvesting money from that list. It's just not true. It's just not true. If it is true, by the way, it's probably because you have a person whose list is highly engaged and the person is offering them a variety of products. So if I launch four times a year, then I'm launching something different each of those four times and that, that there's going to be less sort of blindness to those offers as they come in because this time he's offering me this, the next time he's offering me the other thing and I might buy one and not the other. So if somebody is succeeding with this sort of model, that's usually why. It's because they have a diverse set of products. But even then, to me, it makes just so much more sense to open up your store and say, here are the products that I have on the shelves, and you can buy them whenever it's a good fit for you. To me, it's very strange that having your products for sale all the time is such a novelty in the online world that it actually got a name. We call it evergreening. Oh, well, I'm, I just, I'm going to evergreen this product as though that's some revolutionary idea. The idea that, you, that people would be able to just show up to your store and make a purchase is so novel that it has to have its own name. That's, it's ridiculous to me. I don't, I don't get it. When someone meets you for the first time and then they start to engage with you, engage with your brand and engage with your content, you're in a honeymoon period where that's probably the period of time where they're most excited about you. They're most confident in you. They're most intrigued by you. It's during that period of time that you're most likely to have them buy something from you because you've heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Eventually they get used to you. You're not as, it's not as cool anymore. You're just, you're an old friend and that's great to have an old friend. Those people will refer new people to you, but those people in the long run, they're less likely to buy from you because they're more and more familiar with you. The honeymoon period ends. So unless you're constantly offering new products and coming at new angles, keeping things fresh. If you're just sort of like, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still selling the same thing. And eventually the, the likelihood that they're going to buy that same thing from you goes almost to zero. But if you're always bringing new people into your world and during that honeymoon phase saying, hey, here's the thing that you need to buy from me right now today, they're much, much more likely to do it. Doesn't that just make sense? But when you run a launch-based business, you're saying to that person, Welcome to my world. So glad you're here. And they're, they're kind of, you know, they're enthralled with you and they love what you're saying. And wow, this person's so cool. And then you're saying, no, you can't give me any money yet. I don't launch again until September. What? You're saying to that person, I want to maximize the likelihood that you cool off between here and when I actually allow you to give me money. Let me give you a great example of this. This is a, this is a product that I love from a course creator that I admire. So you're, I don't want you to hear any of this as criticism because I'm such a fan of the person I'm about to talk to you about. Uh, this is a person named Paul Jarvis. He sells a course called Chimp Essentials. It's kind of a start-to-finish guide for how to succeed with MailChimp, how to use MailChimp as your platform for marketing and, um, for marketing and, and selling online. And I've told Paul this um, because I'm a customer. I said, Paul, this program, in terms of just meaty value, it might be the best course I've ever bought in over 10 years of doing stuff online. I mean, it's so good. It's thorough. It's easily consumed. It's accurate. Like, there's just so many nuggets in this program. I'm, I'm so glad I bought it. But 
it's something that you can only buy a couple times per year. And I just completely disagree with this. And here's why. My wife is now an aspiring life coach. We have a special needs child and she's learned a lot about managing her own thoughts and her own emotions around, you know, being a special needs parent. And she's decided she wants to help others, uh, parents whose kids have special needs and she wants to be a life coach and, and do that. I'm all for it. This is awesome. Of course, she needs a newsletter. Newsletter is a great way for her to create and maintain relationships with prospective clients. So I'm like, you got to have a newsletter and you should use MailChimp because I use MailChimp and then we're using the same platform. Well, then I quickly realized if she's going to use MailChimp, either A, I've got to set it up for her, which I don't want to do, or B, uh, I've got to teach her how to do it herself, which I don't want to do. And then I thought, wait a minute, Chimp Essentials. I can just give her my Chimp Essentials login and she can just go through it herself. And that's exactly what she's been doing. I've just been, you know, we'll sit there together, laptops open. She's going through Paul's course on Chimp Essentials on MailChimp. She's learning everything she needs to do. She's implementing it in real time. It's brilliant. She's totally non-technical, my wife, by the way. But Paul's lessons are so good that she's getting through every step. and She's doing it right and she's feeling successful. I'm so grateful for that program. But what if my wife were not, you know, living in my house where she can access my login for that course. What if she weren't my wife? You know, what if it were just a friend who was like, I really want to get going with, with MailChimp? What I would want to say right then is, you have, go sign up right now for Chimp Essentials. Right now. Whatever he costs, whatever he's charging for it these days, pay it. Instead, I would have to be like, well, this course is fantastic, but I don't know when he's going to open it up again. And maybe, maybe the person I'm saying that to they file it away and they're like, oh, this is so great. I'll just, whenever he, whenever he gets around to teaching me, I'll be ready to learn. Is that, is that, does that seem likely though? If a person is setting up a MailChimp account and they want to get going with MailChimp and they can't access the best course online about it, what are they going to have to do? They're either going to find a different course or they're going to go muddle their way through with free YouTube videos. Which if I didn't have Chimp Essentials, I still don't want to teach my wife how to use MailChimp. So I probably would have pointed her to YouTube and said, go type in MailChimp tutorials and just, I don't know, just deal with it. You sort, your, you figure it out for yourself. And by the time Paul launches Chimp Essentials again, maybe she wants to learn what he has to teach, but maybe she's muddled her way through to the point that she feels like she's good, she's good enough with her, with her MailChimp knowledge. To me, that's a disaster. To me, this course that Paul offers... I feel like the word of mouth aspect of this of, of his marketing is gutted by the fact that I can't tell someone to go sign up today. Now, I know Paul does really well with those launches. I'm not telling Paul, if you happen to listen to this, I'm not telling you how to run your business. What I'm saying is, as your fan, I'm limited in my ability to send people to buy, to buy your stuff because you have a, you have a, you know, the, the store says closed. And I don't know why. I don't know why. So what I'm proposing here is that we all just treat business like business, which means businesses are open. They have goods and services for sale, and you buy them. And that we'll, we'll put more stability and more money into our businesses if we get good at making sales every day. Bringing this all the way back to my product and my goal with Let's Do the Books, yes, I want to sell about 700 people. I want to sell it to about 700 people in the next 12 months. What I will have to figure out is how to make an average of roughly three sales per weekday for the whole year without the threat of a deadline, like a countdown timer thingy. 
and without the threat of an increased price. Now, I may launch, I may increase the price of Let's Do the Books at some point, and then at that point, I'll announce. I'll be like, hey, I'm going I'm to raise the price, so if you want to get it, go ahead and get it. But I will not be leaning on that to make the product successful or not. You see, what I'm actually doing is by saying I want to sell 700 in the next year but not launching it, I'm actually saying I have to get good at making three sales every day. And if I do get good at making three sales every day, then not only will I have a great year, I set myself to never have a bad month. And if I develop the skill of being able to make sales on a daily basis, then when I introduce new products, I can add those. And now instead of making three sales a day, I'm making five sales a day. And I'm just building a machine that throws off cash every single day of the year. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what all of us want? So anyway, that's kind of my rant about the launch-based business model. I don't think it's the best case scenario for customers. I don't think it's the best case scenario for business owners. And I would much rather see all of us adopt a habit where we say marketing and sales are everyday activities and making money is an everyday activity. I'll talk to you next week.